Our New Testament passage today is in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up a verse 8. Sister Bev has, I guess this is her last day. She's going to finish the book of Ezekiel. So I'll leave her a little extra time today because, oh, bless her heart. She says, sweetheart, there's just so much to teach us. And sweetheart, we're not trying to teach Ezekiel. We're trying to devotionally look at Ezekiel, but it's so difficult. And you know what? She's going to be telling that to me next week as we get into the book of Daniel. Next week, tomorrow, we get into the book of Daniel. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. He said, but do not overlook this one fact. Wow. Beloved, that with the Lord... A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Now, this is a fact that you and I need to live with. This is a fact. A fact of God. God does not live no linear time. No linear time with God. God existed before time. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, I can say these things as if, as if they're so profound, as if I know what I'm talking about. But my brain just isn't big enough to comprehend existence outside of linear time. I mean, as a human being, we were created in linear time. We live our life in linear time. We understand the world in linear time. But for God, one day is as a thousand years. Eh, a thousand years is as a day. <laughs> he was before time. Again, it's a fact that you have to understand. If you're going to understand anything at all about God, you're going to have to get a hold of that truth. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Now, some people think he is. Some people think that God is slow, but he is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, you've just got to get a hold of this. When it comes to God bringing the promise of judgment, which is what this context is all about, he's not slow. He's patient, not wishing that any should perish. Now, for people who are Calvinists and believe that only a select number of people that are saved are saved, you know, you got to deal with that, not wishing that any should perish. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but that all should reach repentance. Every human being reach repentance. Now, again, you're not going to get into salvation without repentance. So again, notice the words any and all. You know, please, I've got nothing against Calvinism, but like most theological systems, there's they get into a system and they can't see anything past that system. God wants everybody to be saved. Now, the day of the Lord, now here's a, a term that we need to understand. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in them will be exposed. Now, notice, the heavenly bodies burned up, dissolved, the heavens pass away. This is referring to after this is after 
the thousand years. This is after the millennial reign. This is after the millennial reign. This is after Satan released from the bottomless pit. He again tempts the world. A lot of people, in spite of seeing Jesus for a thousand years, that are born during this millennial reign, that have never known anything but blessings and wonder, they still make a choice to follow Satan. Why is beyond my comprehension. And then God burns up the earth. He destroyed it once by flood. The second time he will destroy by fire. And then we have a new heavens and a new earth. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, this earth that we sit in right now will be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to live Ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. All right, so in light of judgment. He said, in light of the judgment, and since all the works that are done on this earth will be exposed, in light of the fact that all these things will be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be? Should we be hanging out in the clubs? Should we be drinking and pornography and womanizing? Should, should we be out there stealing? I mean, should we be out there doing these things? What, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting for the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? Now, as God recreates the heavens and the earth, everything will be destroyed by fire. All the heavenly bodies will be dissolved and melted. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth <laughs> in which righteousness dwells. You see, I keep telling you that this life we live, forgive me, the 70 plus years that God has promised us in this life, this is just school for eternity. This is, this is our training ground for leadership for eternity. This is... This is, where we, we, this is where we learn and are changed and prepared for what God wants us to do for the future. And brothers and sisters, everything you look at one day will be here no longer. Now, during the thousand-year reign, we may come around and visit Manila, and look at the house that we grew up in, and things will look a lot different then without sin and corruption destroying things. But, you know, we, we may come back to our old homes and see things. We, we'll see a world where there's no typhoons, where there's no destruction, where the, the, where the earth has, has received its redemption. We'll, we'll see an earth as God intended it to be at the Garden of Eden. But then we will also see that there will come a day in which all of this that we'd see today, the stars of the heavens, the moon, the planets, they will all be dissolved and burned by fire. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells that has never been touched by sin. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Okay? Now, again, notice how to live. These are important truths. Live. How to live without spot or blemish and at peace. You know, you, you can't change how people treat you and you can't change how people act toward you. But you can decide, you know what, I'm just going to live in peace. And 
count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, coming back up here to patience, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Now, that's true. He wrote according to the wisdom given to him. As he does in all his letters, and when he speaks in them of these matters, so Paul and Peter both wrote of the future, of eschatology. These matters, these are, are things of prophecy. Or things of eschatology. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. So, all right, there are people who twist the twisters. The twisters of scripture. These people are, number one, ignorant. Number two, they are unstable. And all of this leads to their destruction. And you know what? There's not much you can do to stop it because these people always think they're smarter than everybody else. And they not only twist prophecy, the study of the end times. That's what eschatology is. They also twist other scripture. So that they, don't, they don't just focus on prophecy, though that does seem to be a focus with them but they twist out the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, all right? So thirdly, these people are lawless. They're rebels. All right, these people are rebels. And lose your own stability. Now, here is a warning. To be careful with these lawless people, all right? Be careful around these lawless people. Otherwise, you get carried away. In other words, you lose control. You get carried away in things, and before long, you're not in control anymore. You get carried away with the errors. You, you get carried away by error. You don't get carried away by truth. You get carried away by error. And you lose stability. You become an unstable Christian. Now, now you have to, this is why you have to be careful who you listen to, brothers and sisters. You know, there are some really good preachers on TV, and there are some really bad preachers on TV, and there's everything in between. Now, you know, just like you smell your food before you eat it, make sure it's good. Just like Sister Bev, because we got some really bad eggs during the early time of lockdown. And oh, boy, did I get sick. <laughs> boy, was I in the CR. So Sister Bev learned this little trick of when she buys some eggs at the market, she puts them in a little bowl of water. If they go straight to the bottom of the bowl, it's a good egg laying on its side. If they stand up, they're going bad. If they float, grabe talaga, that's called diarrhea heaven. Well, maybe not heaven, but the other place, all right? So we, she... So you smell things until she learned that little trick. 
when I would crack my eggs to make scrambled eggs in the morning, I'd smell my eggs. Now we smell our food all the time. You need to smell your spiritual food. You don't just eat whatever somebody's throwing at you or everybody tries to feed you. You know, don't get carried away by error. It makes you lose your stability. But instead, grow. Ah, here is a big word. Grow. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. In other words, forever. Grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you know what? There's a lot of things we're not going to know about the future. There's a lot of things in prophecy that the Bible is silent on. But you know what? You can grow in grace. <laughs> you can grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You can, you can study more about Jesus every day. A young pastor asked me, and I think he thought he had a question I hadn't thought of, and there's a lot of questions I haven't thought of. He said, Pastor, when you, you start to get to the end of your ministry, when like Paul, you're, you're feeling that you're about to be poured out. He said, what are you going to preach about? I said, I've already laid it out. I'm going to take the last years of my life and preach through the life of Jesus, all four of the Gospels. Just put together a chronology of the Gospels and end my life as I began it, preaching Jesus. See, there's always more to learn about Jesus. So don't get carried away in this era of lawless people and lose your stability. Instead, grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. And then Sister Bev has her last Ezekiel study for us.
there. Welcome back to Ezekiel, our Old Testament portion of our daily devotions today. And it's our last reading from Ezekiel. How I have enjoyed reading the book of Ezekiel with you. I love going through the Word of God with you. It's one of my greatest, greatest privileges, just being with you together. So do you have a favorite part of the book of Ezekiel so far? You might think that your favorite part would be the very first part where Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord. He sees those cherubim. He sees wheels within wheels all turning. Oh, so so many beautiful lessons there. Or how God deals with Ezekiel in his calling, the Son of Man, and he calls him to listen well and then speak. There's so many things. The drama drama of Ezekiel, or maybe your favorite One of my favorites has got to be kind of the sad story of the lifting of the glory of the Lord, how God couldn't dwell with the abominations, the murders, the 
adultery, the, all the things, the idolatry that was going on in his temple. He couldn't dwell there. So his glory lifted up from between the cherubim, slowly moved over, and everywhere that the glory of God moved, the doorway became radiant. The courtyard became radiant as he moved further out so slowly. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to abandon his temple, but he couldn't dwell there among such abominations, such sin. And it's just such a picture for me. I love it. The patience of God with us. He doesn't want to leave us. He doesn't just quickly disappear the moment we sin, the moment we blow it in life. He's so patient with us. And as though he's saying, hey, guys, uh, I'm moving now. I'm moving out of the way. Does anybody notice? And nobody noticed. But the beautiful thing about that story is the full circle as the glory of God eventually left through the eastern gate. And then in chapter 43, how the glory of God comes back in through the eastern gate. And as the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, moves over the earth, the earth itself is radiant, radiantly beauty, beautiful. And what are we made of? We human beings made from the earth, made from the dust of the ground. When God dwells in us, everything in us is radiantly beautiful. You don't have an ugly past. You have beautiful insides. Amen. As the Lord dwells in you. That's probably one of my favorite stories in the book of Ezekiel. But then there's the beautiful and very famous passage in chapter 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. It is a prophecy given the night before these people in exile with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was there with the exiles in Babylon. And the night before, they were going to hear from a messenger that Jerusalem had fallen, that Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem. The night before, God gave Ezekiel this message and he brought it to the people. This valley of the dry bones, Israel, Israel, Israel. Yes, scattered. Yes, there's a price to pay for not obeying God all these years and ignoring his warnings. But though your bones be scattered all over the mountains, there is a resurrection of Israel. And it's not just Judah, the southern tribes, the two tribes. It's all the tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel will be resurrected. There will be life again for Israel as they are brought back together into the land. So many beautiful, beautiful stories in the book of Ezekiel. Powerful prophecies. And now today, we're going to read chapter 47 and 48. And I'm telling you, these are some powerful, beautiful passages that make us understand the glory of God, the power of God, the desire of God for us, the miraculous nature of our God, how he loves to do miracles in our lives. So many lessons from the beginning of 47 till the end of 48. And so I just say, settle in, because here we go. Chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple 
And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Actually, if you were just coming home and there was water coming under your doorway, <laughs> what would be your reaction? Would you say, oh, how beautiful, how lovely this water is that's flowing from under my doorway? <laughs> No, I think it would be quite different. If you saw water flowing under your doorway, you might a little bit panic, get in there. What's going on? Is there a water pipe that's broken? There must be water gushing everywhere. But a very different story that's about to happen here in chapter 47. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outer side of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep and so on and so on. And we'll continue reading in just a second. But you know what I'm going to say, right? You know that when we interpret scripture, we must take it A, literally, or B, figuratively. Which one? A, literally. We interpret scripture Literally. So literally, we are going to say this is a literal millennial time river. And of course, there's so many applications to our lives when we look at this millennial river, this river that started by trickling out from the house of God. <laughs> not, not, as we said, somewhere where you would say, Oh, how beautiful. There's water flowing out from under my door. <laughs> it's not like that. It is, though, a beautiful, beautiful millennial river. And, you know, all rivers have a source. They call it the headwater, right? The source of the river. And usually that source is up on a mountain somewhere. And it could be the melting of snow. Or it could be that there was heavy rainfalls some of it didn't soak into the ground, so it formed a little trickle. And as it goes, as it goes down, it forms a river. Or it could be an underground spring that forms a river. What is the source of this river in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47? The presence of God himself. There was no sudden underground spring that comes up where the temple is <laughs> on the temple mount, all that rock. There's no sudden that it comes from God himself, the presence of God himself. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the river of living water. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, on the last day of the feast, that's the Feast of Tabernacles that they were having, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, the other versions say, in a loud voice. I like Jesus has a loud voice, a voice like a trumpet, a voice like the many waters, like a multitude. He cried out in a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit. 
And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is a river. He is the river of living water. So when we are talking here about this river that comes from the throne of God himself, we are talking about literally, because we take scripture literally, a millennial river, but this is a river of living water. You want to see it? <laughs> How many of you want to see it? You want to see that river of living water? Someday just go and maybe stick your hand in it and taste a little bit of it and see what happens to you. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see all these beautiful things that are being prophesied for millennial times. So a literal millennial river, literally the river of living water, which is the Holy Spirit. And clearly the source water is the Holy Spirit. The headwater for this river is the Holy Spirit. The river flows from the presence of God. So going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Then he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again, he measured a thousand and it was a river I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? So yeah, a lot of rivers in this world start off as a trickle. I think you can think of some of the big rivers of this world. I think if there's one in the United States, the Mississippi River starts off little more than a trickle in the northern part of the United States. And as it flows south to the ocean, to the Gulf, it collects uh, runoff water from 33 different states running off into that river. So, of course, it grows and grows and grows. And you kind of think, yeah, that's how river rivers grow because other waters flow into it. Not Ezekiel's river. Can you imagine if there's a river of living water, the Holy Spirit himself, and then other rivers will start flowing into it? Uh, what will those other waters contribute? We'll just muddy the waters. We'll just make it polluted. No, this is a pure Holy Ghost river of living water flowing from the presence of God, a literal millennial river, and it gets deeper and deeper. This is a supernatural river. It's a river of living water. It's a river that gets deeper and deeper fairly quickly, not because of drain off from other rivers, but it is a supernatural river. And the more we are in this river, the deeper it gets until we're swimming in this river of living water, the living water of God. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down to, into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. So let's talk first about these banks of the river because we see the same thing in Revelation chapter 22, don't we? In Revelation 22, it says, 
Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life. Living water, clear as crystal. So not all muddy from other waters joining it. Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street in this case. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. (laughs) Oh, the beauty of the things that are ahead of us in our experience with God, in our life with God, and in our future with the Lord. So also in heaven, also, but here in this millennial river, I went back and I saw these trees on one side and the other. Now just hold on to that idea with those trees. This water, it says, this supernatural river of living water, it's flowing toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah. Actually, that is like the deepest valley region, one of the deepest in the world. And it goes down to the sea. What sea is that? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? (laughs) Because it has six times more concentrated salt than any ocean in the world. It is a very, very salty place. And nothing can live there because it's very, very salty. But when this living water, when the living supernatural water of the Holy Spirit, when it hits the Dead Sea, it's not dead anymore. The salt is gone and everything lives. Wow. Everything lives in this Dead Sea. Now, we do learn from Zechariah when we're going to put together different scriptures that in Zechariah, in his writing, he talks about this river coming from the temple of God down through the Kidron Valley and it splits. So half of it is going to go south and go into the Dead Sea where everything will live. And the other half will flow across to the west into the Mediterranean Sea. So, you know, when you go with us to Israel, and we are planning to go back to Israel in 2022, Lord willing, we don't know what's going to happen in 2021, but we are planning a tour in 2022 in February, Lord willing. And when we go there, of course, we're looking back. This is where this prophet was. This is where this apostle was. These are the footsteps of Jesus. This is where Jesus did this miracle. We're looking back, and they have this saying in in Jerusalem, in Israel, that our future is in our past. So we're looking in the past a lot when we're there, but we're also looking to the future. Because when, when we go to Caiaphas's house, we stand right there on an overlooking area, overlooking the Kidron Valley, This is the same place where this living water river, supernatural river is going to flow down and make its way to the Dead Sea and everything will live. So are we excited? (laughs) Are we excited? We're excited to go to Israel and see that place. 
We're excited to see this river of living water in real life when we experience millennial beautiful times. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Oh, praise God. (laughs) Everything will live where the river goes. Now, we know that literally interpreted, we are talking about a literal, supernatural river of life in the millennial times, Holy Spirit river that flows into the Dead Sea and makes everything live. Application in our lives. The Holy Spirit is still the river of life. And that river of life flows into us. How does the river of life flow? Well, rivers. How do we get the Holy Spirit flowing in our lives? Rivers. Rain, because it talks about the rain of the Holy Spirit. Drinking. John 4, John 7. Drinking. Come to me and drink. We have lots of ways to let the Holy Spirit just fill us and fill us. Of course, salvation, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells. You know, the thing is, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, go ahead and get wet. Don't be the person who's standing on the banks of the river when everybody else is in the river and the rain of the Holy Spirit is falling and you're standing on the banks of a river with an umbrella saying, I won't get wet, I won't get wet, I won't get wet. Oh, come on, throw your umbrella away, jump into the river and get wet (laughs) and let the Holy Spirit bring living water to you, life to you. Look what happened when the Holy Spirit, when this living water hits the Dead Sea. Everything lives. Everything lives. Wow. What will happen in your life when you get to be a tree in the courtyards of God, flourishing? Let the Holy Spirit touch you. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit fill you even now. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Englaim, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, Mediterranean. But its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh. They are left for salt. You know, we need salt, right? So God left some salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. No more seasons. No more winter, spring, summer, fall. You know, the the turning of the colors of the leaves. and, And then in the winter, they all fall off the trees. No more seasons. They will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month. (laughs) Wow, do you know any tree like that? Fresh fruit every month. Why? Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Oh, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. You know, we could just like spend a month just talking about because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. You want to be fruitful in life? You want 
fruitfulness, productivity, abundance in your life, go to church more often and let the Holy Spirit touch you and get a hold of you and nourish you right there in the sanctuary of God. Moving on, thus says the Lord God, this is the boundary by which you shall divide the land for inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. Remember right from the beginning, Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and both of them were to be counted as Jacob's. And you shall divide equally what I swore to give to your fathers. This land shall fall to you as your inheritance. This shall be the boundary of the land on the north side from the great sea by the way of Hethlon to Lebo Hamath and on to Zedad. Beroth. Berothah, Sibraim, which lies on the border between Damascus and Hamath, as far as Hezer Hatikon, which is on the border of Haruan, so the boundary shall run from the sea to Hazar Enan, which is on the northern boundary, a border of Damascus, with the border of Hamath to the north. This shall be on the north side. Wow, lots of names. I can just imagine right now Brother John saying, and... And he loves to read like that, right? (laughs) When it's all these names, we don't know how to pronounce. On the east side, the boundary shall run between Hauran and Damascus along the Jordan between Gilead and the land of Israel to the eastern sea and as far as Tamar. This shall be the east side. On the south side, it shall run from Tamar as far as the waters of Meribah Kadesh and From there, along the brook of Egypt to the great sea, this shall be the south side. On the west side, the great sea shall be the boundary to a point opposite Lebo Hamath. This shall be the west side. So you shall divide this land among you according to the tribes of Israel. You shall allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the sojourners who reside among you, who have had children among you. They shall be to you as native-born children of Israel. With you they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the sojourner resides, there you shall assign him his inheritance, declares the Lord God. Chapter 48. These are the names of the tribes, beginning at the northern extreme, beside the way of Hethlon to Lebo Hamath, as far as Hazar Enan, which is on the northern border of Damascus over against Hamath, and extending from the east side to the west, Dan, one portion. Adjoining the territory of Dan from the east side to the west, Asher, one portion. Adjoining the territory of Asher from the east side to the west, Naphtali, one portion. You know, I could actually stop at each one of these and quiz you. What's the meaning of Dan? What's the meaning of Asher? What's the Because you know all these names, right? And they all have a story to tell. Adjoining the territory of Naphtali, from the east side to the west, Manasseh, one portion. Adjoining the territory of Manasseh, from the east side to the west, Ephraim, one portion. Adjoining the territory of Ephraim, from the east side to the west, Reuben, one portion. Adjoining the territory of Reuben, from the east side to the west, Judah, one portion. Adjoining the territory of Judah, from the east side to the west, shall be the portion which you shall set apart, 25,000 cubits in breadth and in length equal to one of the tribal portions from the east side to the west with the sanctuary in the midst of it. The portion that you shall set apart for the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in length and 20 in breadth. 20,000 that is. These shall be the allotments of the holy portion. 
The priests shall have an allotment measuring 25,000 cubits on the northern side, 10,000 cubits in breadth on the western side, 10,000 in breadth on the eastern side, and 25,000 in length on the, on the southern side with the sanctuary of the Lord in the midst of it. This shall be for the consecrated priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept my charge, who did not go astray when the people of Israel went astray as the Levites did. And it shall belong to them as a special portion from the holy portion of the land, a most holy place adjoining the territory of the Levites. And alongside the territory of the priests, the Levites shall have an allotment 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in breadth. The whole length shall be 25,000 cubits and the breadth 20,000. They shall not sell or exchange any of it. They shall not alienate this choice portion of the land, for it is holy to the Lord. The remainder, 5,000 cubits in breadth and 25,000 in length, shall be for common use for the city, for dwellings, for open country. In the midst of it shall be the city, and these shall be the measurements, the north side, 4,500 cubits, the south side, 4,500, the east side, 4,500, and the west side, 4,500. And the city shall have open land on the north, 250 cubits, on the south, 250, on the east, 250, and on the west, 250. The remainder of the length alongside the holy portion shall be 10,000 cubits to the east and 10,000 to the west, and it shall be alongside the holy portion. Its produce shall be food for the workers of the city, and the workers of the city from all the tribes of Israel shall till it. The whole portion that you shall set apart shall be 25,000 cubits square. That is the holy portion together with the property of the city. What remains on both sides of the holy portion and of the property of the city shall belong to the prince, extending from the 25,000 cubits of the holy portion to the east border and westward from the 25,000 cubits to the west border, parallel to the tribal portions, it shall belong to the prince. The holy portion with the sanctuary of the temple shall be in its midst. It shall be separate from the properties of the Levites and the property of the city, which are in the midst of that which belongs to the prince. The portion of the prince shall lie between the territory of Judah and the territory of Benjamin. Okay, you ready to make a map? <laughs> That's a lot of measurements and a lot of wonderful information. And we're going to run out of time if we stop and go through every single thing. And we have something really awesome to get to before we end today. So we need to keep going. As for the rest of the tribes, from the east side to the west, Benjamin one portion, adjoining the territory of Benjamin from the east side to the west, Simeon one portion, adjoining the territory of Simeon from the east side to the west, Issachar one portion, adjoining the territory of Issachar from the east side to the west, Zebulun one portion, adjoining the territory of Zebulun from the east side to the west, Gad one portion, and adjoining the territory of Gad to the south, the boundary shall run from Tamar to the waters of Meribah Kadesh, from there along the brook of Egypt to the Great Sea. This is the land that you shall allot as an inheritance among the tribes of Israel, and these are their portions, declares the Lord God. These shall be the exits of the city on the north side, which is to be 4,500 cubits by measure, three gates, the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, and the gate of Levi the gates of the city being named after the tribes of Israel. On the east side, which is to be 4,500 cubits, three gates, the gate of Joseph, the gate of Benjamin, and the gate of Dan. 
On the south side, which is to be 4,500 cubits by measure, three gates, the gate of Simeon, the gate of Issachar, and the gate of Zebulun. On the west side, which is to be 4,500 cubits, three gates, the gate of Gad, the gate of Asher, and the gate of Naphtali. Now the final verse and the final thing that we want to get to in the book of Ezekiel. The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Now, how awesome is that? For so many reasons. One, how many times in the book of Ezekiel, he's talking about the city of Jerusalem, and the city of Jerusalem had many bad names. The bloody city, the rebellious people. These are some of the bad names that God himself was calling the city. Well, there's going to be a new name now with all this living water flowing and all this newness. The name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. I think I like that name a lot better, don't you? And the other thing is, we know about the glory of the Lord, how it had to lift up because he could not dwell among the abominations and it had to move away. But God returns and dwells among his people and they shall be his people and he shall be their God and he will reign. Amen. And so the name of that city shall be the Lord is there and he's not going anywhere. The Lord is there. You know what? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. And on that, we can say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. What a great way to end our reading in the book of Ezekiel. It has really, really been my privilege to go over and read the book of Ezekiel with you. I have loved it, and I hope you've gotten something out of it devotionally. That is our Bible reading for today. That is our daily devotions for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of doing Ezekiel with you. And we hope to see you tonight for our COP online evening